This week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about hope and fear, memory and the power it has to free us, and about spiritual amnesia. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Well, we're now starting the fourth week of Lent, Angela, and I have to say good job picking out this devotional from Walter Brueggemann because I'm loving it. You know, as we continue through this study, I'm reminded about how complex uh, and demanding the season of Lent is. I mean, I know I I went to school just like, you know, Mm -hmm. we all did who were clergy in the Methodist church. We went to school and we studied worship and we studied scripture and we know that Lent is a time of, you know, wilderness wanderings like. Brueggemann says, but, you know, I just, I'm reminded about how much more deep and demanding this is uh, to really practice the the true season uh, of Lent. You know, when I was younger, of course, like probably we all do, Lent was <laughs> a little bit more than a waiting period for Easter. You know, it was that sort of season where we, we, uh, we did change the colors in the sanctuary to purple, and we did talk about giving things up for a little while, uh, but it really didn't uh, sink in in terms of just how much is demanded of us spiritually during the season. As, a, as an adult, of course, Lent became more of a spiritual journey for me, um, but, but this devotional has even, uh, you know, opened my eyes a little bit more into going deeper into what it means for me to sort of you know, renovate my relationship with God and to really rethink, you know, who I am and what I am living for each and every day. Uh, maybe a way to look at it is that, you know, Lent is some kind, uh, some sometimes seen as a, a spiritual redecoration. You know, we kind of <laughs> have gotten things out of place. You know, the, the feng shui is not really yeah. <laughs> set up the way it should. And so, you know, it's time to move the furniture around and get things back to the way they should be. But, you know, Brueggemann and his devotional sort of um, bids us to do way more than that, not just a redecoration or moving around the furniture, but actually going down to the studs, <laughs> starting with <laughs> brand new drywall and new flooring. Just basically, you know, this is a time for spiritual reconstruction to really do uh, a true renovation, to clean out all of the old mm-hmm. and get started with brand new so that we can grow in our relationship with God and learn to, you know, live a, a life that reflects more of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, Brueggemann brings up in this week's set of devotional is that there is a difference between popular Lent, kind of like what you're, you know, talking about, just sure. giving something up. Uh, and he calls it, he gives it that name, popular Lent, as as opposed to true Lent. Uh, popular Lent is too much preoccupied with guilt and uh, repentance, uh, the past and what we've done before. Uh, but when we consider the story of Abraham from Genesis, uh, you know, we can imagine that Lent is rather seeing how to take steps into God's future, as Abraham did, uh, so that we are are no longer defined by what is past and uh, no longer distracted by what we've treasured or feared about the present. 
Lent is uh, much about embracing that baby, you know, given to Abraham and Sarah, a baby given to old people. Um, it's about embracing resurrection to new life in Easter. Uh, and it's the offer of a new world made by God from nothing. And the verification that God's promises are kept can be found among those who daily live out their trust in ways that the world terms foolish. Mm -hmm. You know, how? Uh, what are the things that do that mark us as Christian disciples? Uh, well, they're loving and caring for their neighbor, uh, working for peace and justice, being seekers and tellers of the truth, and then being bold enough to venture with God into the future, whatever that future is that God is calling us to. So Lent is about moving from the past into God-given prospects. And, That's and exciting. It is. <laughs> and, and it's exciting um, because, you know, if we can have the sort of uh, imagination that Brueggemann invites us to, to sort of see what that prophetic imagination he talks about in another uh, book, to see sort of what God's future is like and, and it's going to be uh, a blessing to us, then, you know, maybe we can, we can move and we can, you know, become free from where we are. But, you know, moving on for the past, like you say, is something that we know we need to do, but it's not always easy. You right. know, it's yeah. sort of like it's exciting but scary. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the hardest person to forgive is sometimes yourself. Yes, and the hardest place to leave sometimes is the past. Mm -hmm. You know, we try to make it easy and say, just give up your past. You know, mm -hmm. lay it at mm -hmm. the feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe we can and and should, but. Letting that go is is sometimes difficult. Yeah. It's painful to become unraveled. I mean, mm -hmm. just think about the uh, example that I was mentioning at the beginning. You know, a, a renovation, uh, the end product is usually beautiful, but the process of <laughs> living in, you know, a gutted space right. for a Go while. Tear down some walls. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. Um, so Brueggemann mm -hmm. seems to point out that even though— we know the past is constrictive and it holds us back. It's, it's really difficult to leave behind. It holds us back from God's future. It makes us feel either too far gone or sometimes unworthy of God's love and God's future. Um, it even prevents us from imagining that we can ever change, you know, that we're sort of stuck in these old ways and old patterns. God's future on the other hand, he says, is filled with freedom and hope, and it's open to everyone. In a sense, God's future will be able to unravel the past and will put things back the way they should be, but the process is going to take a lot uh, from us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be all done by God, but it is going to you know, require us to really do things and see things in a different way, to walk in the right direction and allow God to do the rest. That leads us into uh, one of the, the devotionals for this week uh, about Luke chapter 6. And it's Luke's version of the Beatitudes that we find in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6. And in this chapter, Jesus uh, pairs together uh, blessings and woes, you know, blessings and woes, the good and the bad. Um, you know, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are you who weep now. This is not only the past that we contend with, but it's also the present. Mm -hmm. 
And, and Brueggemann makes that point. It's not just difficult to leave the past behind. Sometimes it's even difficult to allow us to think differently about our present circumstances and our mm-hmm. present way of living and being. Um, the present can hold us back just like the past can. Uh, the past holds us back to it, and the present holds us to right now. Uh, you know, almost uh, imagining that at least the thing we know is the be- is better than the thing we don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he says that God's future will rec- rescue them from their present. You know, in a sense, Jesus didn't say, you know, the poor are not poor anymore. <laughs> right? Um, he says, blessed are the poor. Their circumstance is not changing right now, but they're already in a state of being blessed. Um, there is a, a future on the way to rescue them that if they're in rough shape in the present, they're already blessed by God and you will, and they, of course, and we will receive even more blessings as the kingdom of God continues to arrive and arrives fully. You know, we often assume that blessings are a present tense possibility, you know, that, you know, to be blessed is not something that happens in the future, like I will be blessed one day. I mean, I think we all want that and hope that. Most of the time, though, when we use the word blessed, it's a present tense. I am blessed Mm -hmm. or we are so blessed. Yes. Um, You know, to be blessed is to have things go well for you right now. It makes me think of carpe diem, Mm -hmm. you know, seize the diem. Um, I think it's the day, right? Seize the day. Yes, seize the day. (laughs) Seize the day because that's what we have, right? And 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 so, in a sense, part of what we need to do is to figure out how to trust in the tomorrow or trust in the future that God is giving to us. Jesus, Brueggemann says, is demanding his disciples, and in a way, us today, to re- to rethink what it means to be blessed. Some people who suffer in the present are suffering because they are so committed to God and his kingdom. You know, those who weep and mourn often do so because they have loved deeply. It's sort of the blessing and the curse of love. You know, love allows us to have such beautiful connections. It also opens the door with loss Mm -hmm. to weeping and mourning. But their circumstance is not permanent, that they are blessed as they endure it, but they're also blessed in the future. Um, and, and this is where Brueggemann sort of takes the turn that, you know, we need to focus on during Lent what it means for us to both be beside those who suffer and also maybe even enter into suffering. Um, you know, if, if we want to be blessed, not only now, but later, maybe we need to be the ones who enter into these states or at least enter into a part of them. Uh, that we are, in a sense, joining in the suffering of Jesus, um, to suffer in the present, uh, to trust that God's future is certain, and that the blessings that Jesus promises are on their way. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about those, uh, the blessings and the woes, the Beatitudes, I mean, how strange must that have been for for anybody who was listening to hear that, right? Right. Uh, when I was in seminary, I remember my New Testament professor drawing a pyramid, you know, on the board. And, and you know, the way culture was set up then, you know, with those in power were at the top of the pyramid, you know, and then all the, the lowliest of the low were at the bottom. 
And she talked about the Beatitudes, and she said, you know what Jesus did in that moment? He turned the pyramid, right, flipped it, you know, so now you've got the lowliest of the low at the top and the most powerful at the bottom, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And, And so what Jesus does in that is he, you know, requires that all of his disciples have this completely different take on the present. As you said, blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, who weak now? Uh, blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and defame you. Um, so these blessings call us to be restless enough, I think, to know that the the present arrangements of reality are not good enough and that they're not the way that God intends for them to be, uh, which was Jesus' point, right? Uh, we're called to be odd, and <laughs> noticed for walking to a different drummer. Uh, and in this way, as you said, we share in the suffering of Jesus. Jesus' way in the world was and is not popular or safe. Um, we talked about the blessings, but there are also the woes, the warnings. Uh, he says, for those who have accepted the status quo, You know, there are words of warning. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation or your reward already. Um, Christians are blessed when they maintain an awareness and a practice of the present, remembering that this present is not how God wills it. But there are times you know, when this awareness and practice of the present is difficult, life is is full of blessing and, and beautiful things, but life also comes at us sometimes in very chaotic and painful and tragic ways. Mm-hmm. And when we experience those things, sometimes we can uh, believe that we're not blessed. You know, sort of like you're thinking right. about with that pyramid. Yeah. Everybody thought that the, the top— uh, th- those were the blessed, yes. you know, and, and we're suffering. We're having difficulty. We're poor. Mm-hmm. We're not blessed. And Jesus flips it and mm-hmm. says, no, you know, not only are you blessed, but God is with you and for you. And he yes. wants something better. And there is there is a future with hope coming your way. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> in a way, the woes, like you're saying, are, are sort of warning signs to people who are on the top mm-hmm. uh, saying, you know, be careful. Because there's trouble coming. Um, right. Well, there's trouble in uh, uh, River City. Yeah. Capital T. Music man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Right. <laughs> you know, the opposite of God's blessed future is a, you know, a future of trouble or woe. And in a way, He almost says that there's woe now <laughs> for mm-hmm. you in the present. You yeah. know, that yeah. there's you've Absolutely. received your reward, and there's not much beyond that. Um, you know, in a sense. When you love the present, you're going to run into trouble, uh, especially in the future, but also possibly in the moment. When we try to avoid sharing in the suffering of Christ or helping those who suffer for him, we're going to find woe. We're going to find trouble. And, you know, I don't get the sense that this is outright punishment from God, but it's almost like you're opting out of this. You are choosing yourself over God. You're choosing yourself over other people. Mm-hmm. And that's a way that leads to death. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's, there's a warning that, that this is not going to be a life that, you know, you're going to really at the end of things be glad that you lived. Um, there's not going to be the joy and contentment. There's not going to be the presence of God and the hope of a future. 
there's going to be mainly just an emptiness. It seems that woe is the trouble, the toil that's going to be in the the end of these things. And so we we need to be shaken up. And that's what God, through Jesus, seems to be doing through this text in Luke chapter 6 is shaking people up, including us, to the realization that the present is not the most important thing. How we live in the present does shape how well we will fit into God's future. And I think that's why the folks benefiting now off the backs of others are going to receive trouble. You know, that they, they're not going to fit in God's future. Um, it's not going to be for them. It's going to be for others. Brueggemann reminds us that, as you said, the, the chaotic and painful and sometimes tragic now that we have is not forever. That's most of the good news there, uh, that there's something else coming thanks to Jesus. The present is not as God wills it. There's something better. There's something more. There's something more complete and whole. Uh, shalom that we'll, you know, discuss. Thanks to Jesus, God's future is coming. In fact, he uses a a passage in another devotional in Romans to help us see the Easter, you know, that's coming our way this Lent and every Lent is a reminder that God's future is certain, you know, that that Easter comes, you know, Good Friday comes, but then Easter Mm -hmm. always follows it, that there is always God's future coming to us, reminding us that it's on its way. And that the present is um, not forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Brueggemann uh, lifts up that, that verse out of Romans um, where Paul says, If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, and, and Brueggemann calls these the two prerequisites of faith uh, that— would be important for us to ponder here in this season of Lent. We confess that Jesus is Lord, yes, with our lips, but also with our hearts, you know, and with our very lives. Our our lives should speak the truth that Jesus is the only one who can claim our loyalty. Um, God raised Jesus from the dead, yes. Uh, God has shattered the system of death and made all things new. Uh, but but do we live like that? You know, mm-hmm. just do our lives speak uh, those prerequisites of faith in, in our day-to-day choices and living? The Easter claim is not simply about resuscitation, but about a new reality in the world that is unrestrained by the force of fear or violence our privilege, God's new reality outruns all of our explanation, and the living Lord opens new reality to us. And if Jesus is our Lord and we follow him now, yeah. you know, we need to follow him into the future. And uh, sometimes the future will feel a little bit odd to us because, you know, the present is what we're used to yeah. and sometimes what we secretly desire. But, you know, that new reality is on its way. Um, it is it is on its way for each of us individually and on its way to us corporately. Um, you know, you mentioned that the popular Lent focuses on, in a way, brooding over the errors of our past. You know, it sort of focuses on the wrong things. But in a sense, that too has its place. It's just at the beginning of Lent. You know, we, we mm-hmm. begin with ashes. Right. Um, you know, we need to realize that we're, we, we have— um, 
you know, a checkered past with our sin and with the ways in which we have fallen. Uh, we have uh, fallen out of love with God from time to time, and we have gotten things wrong. Uh, Lent begins with ashes, but true Lent keeps moving away from ashes to the empty tomb. And so as we're moving away from sort of that um, that really painful process of opening our lives to the corrective, refining grace of God, we also need to then start thinking about, you know, what steps do I need to take? What, what direction do I need to go in? If God's future is coming, how can I start changing to become more like that? True Lent mm-hmm. keeps moving us on. Uh, Brueggemann reminds us that Lent is also about seeing the next right steps to take into God's future. And that's exactly what we're talking about, inviting us to see the steps we need to take to share not only in the sufferings of Jesus in the present and how to be with those who are hurting and to share what we have with others who are hurting, but also how can we step forward in faith and entrust into God's future that's on its way. Yeah. I often think about song lyrics and things like that. And I think about Sheryl Crow, you know, a change would do you good. And Lent is a reminder that a change is <laughs> going to do us a lot of good mm-hmm. if we can learn to lean into God's future instead of seeking, you know, directly or indirectly, consciously or subconsciously, the woes of loving the present. Mm-hmm. Well, from that Easter claim in Romans, Paul draws uh, another conviction The Lord is the Lord of all and is generous to all who call upon him. Uh, Excuse me. The defining mark of the Easter world is divine cosmic generosity that um, outruns our need and our want and our hope and our desire to endow us with every good gift, uh, especially this gift of new possibility. Part of living in God's future is seeking to live with God's inclusive love now. And, you know, when we think about God's inclusive love, uh, as with anything with God, it is immense and forever and (laughs) more than we can imagine. Uh, And there are no exceptions to this generosity. We don't control God's generosity. We don't get to exclude anyone from God's generosity. Uh, But through Easter, God is bringing the world to a new inclusiveness on the basis of God's own generosity. And God calls us in the church to engage in that same kind of inclusiveness. You know, again, I think about Abraham uh, when speaking about God's inclusiveness and generosity. Abraham and his wife Sarah were... You know, they were old. They were just living this life. Um, I mean, they, they were surrounded by family, but they had no children of their own. You know, they're at the end of their branch of the family tree. Um, and Scripture doesn't tell us that they were anybody special at all. Uh, but God, God sees something special in Abraham, and, and God uh, includes Abraham, draws him in to God's story, and then talk about generosity. God doesn't just give Abraham and Sarah one child. God's promises to make him exceedingly fruitful. You know, God says, I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. Um, I mean, the generosity of God is just always more than 
than we can come up with or imagine for ourselves. Well, and we've talked about uh, the 23rd Psalm during this this journey of, of Lent. And mm-hmm. whenever I think about God's generosity, I often think about how it keeps, you know, it keeps pouring out upon us. You know, God's grace uh, is endless. Uh, God's forgiveness yeah. is endless. And so it keeps, mm-hmm. you know, coming. And you get this sense from the, the psalmist, David, uh, most likely, in Psalm 23 that says, you know, my cup runneth over. Yeah. Uh, that God's generosity is is infinite. You know, we, we sometimes in the Methodist world hear about radical hospitality. And, you know, the idea is that, uh, you know, God has radical hospitality for us and we mm-hmm. should show every guest who comes into our church building radical yes. hospitality. Um, but when you start thinking about, you know, our own generosity, we start to think about how great it is to be helpful, but there are limits, right? <laughs> you know, we don't think about yes. endlessness in generosity when it comes to our own selves. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. God has never-ending resources because God is God. Um, But we have finite resources. There's there's only so much we can give before it needs to be, um, you know, know, reinvested or or, or to be regained. Uh, But that's not really the point. It's, It's not about, you know, imitating God by giving everything and completely away, but to be generous like God, to be radically hospitable like God. You know, Brueggemann really feels like this fight between scarcity and abundance is not as real as we make it out to be that, you know, in a sense, you know, that we, we make scarcity um, <laughs> bigger than it actually is. You know, mm-hmm. well, I might not have enough. Well, how many of that do you have? I mean, in my family, I get sort of ridiculed, ridiculed because of the number of grills that I have and the number of methods for making coffee that I have. And I keep, you know, sort of sort of truthfully and sort of joking around saying, you know, I think it's time for me to get another coffee maker. And my kids roll their eyes and just say, mommy's going to kill you, uh, which is probably true. Um, but, you know, the, the, the idea is that, you know, um, I, I would have a hard time giving up some of those things because I like different things about them. Uh, you know, my grills, I've got a gas grill and a, you know, charcoal grill, and there are different ways that I use that. I've got a smoker. And when it comes down to it, you know, we kind of think about that in our lives. Well, I only have this. Well, that's a lot. And you can probably give more away than, than you, you think of now. You know, well, I only have this many hours in the week. Well, you know, how much of that do we waste how much of that do we waste on you know, screens or technology or, you know, the things that we should or could be doing? So he doesn't think that this is a, a, a real issue. Now, at least in the way we sort of make it out to be. While scarcity thinking calls us to hoard, you know, <laughs> to hold on to and, you know, store up for later, mm-hmm. abundance thinking allows us to, to share. And what he really seems to be getting at is that this fight between um, scarcity thinking and abundance uh, not only holds us back, you know, scarcity from God's generosity, but it's really it really comes down to trust and fear. I'm afraid that God won't take care of me. I'm afraid that I won't have what I need when I need it. And mm-hmm. and really, trust is the response that Jesus is seeking from us. That you know, we trust that God is going to be there for us. We trust that God is going to be there for us. We trust the church is going to be there for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that fear-trust dichotomy is really 
uh, at war within us and holding us back from not only God's future, but fitting into it. Mm-hmm. Well, think about how often that theme runs through the Old Testament, you know, over and over. You know, there's just this thread, right, that connects the whole Old Testament and then even into the New Testament as well. But when we look at the Old Testament, especially like in books, uh, in books like Jeremiah, we pick up on the themes of losing home, mm. you know, in, in sadness, this time of exile or in the wilderness, but also this time of coming home to well-being. And, of course, when we tell that story on Sunday mornings, you know, in church, it, it ends up being a version of the story about, you know, right, Good Friday into Easter, you know, a story of Friday death and a, and a Sunday miracle of new life. And that story attracts us and we recognize it and we, you know, it claims our attention because when we are thoughtful and self-aware, we recognize that it's a story of our life Mm. in the world. And we do it over and over again, you know, moving into death and then out into new life. And God, God always answers our pain with this hope that has the ability to transform us. Um, I, somewhere along the way, you know, with my kids, especially as they got older and their relationships were a little bit more serious, you know, anytime there was a breakup, I just started having this conversation with them about Easter, you know, like there's new opportunity, there's new life that's coming to you. But yes, you had to experience Good Friday because Mm. Easter doesn't happen without Good Friday. And so Good Friday is painful and it hurts. And then there's this time of waiting for Easter to come, but it will come. You know, it is that hope that God gives that, that transforms us. And also, you know, within that hope, there's this element of uh, memory. Mm. You know, we can begin to remember the times. We can look back over our lives and we can remember the times that God has brought us out beyond trouble and and the way we've been able to grow and mature spiritually through it. And so we have this memory of God with us and, and God for us amidst the pain that allows us to reimagine a better future. And another story, you know, Old Testament story, you know, this God who is for us is the same God who was with Moses as he sought to free the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And Moses had to deal with Pharaoh, who did his best to continue the oppression, to to continue the status quo. Moses had to deal with the magicians, who tried to undo the plagues, and the acts of God, so that the status quo, again, would still be maintained. So we have all these elements that seem to be against us at times, but we have to remember what God is hanging out with us, <laughs> who God is, what he's done before. And, and, you know, it kind of dawned on me um, because of Brueggemann's devotional and through mm-hmm. our conversation that, it's just amazing how far and how much 
the Pharaoh uh, and some of the Egyptian leadership are willing to put up with in order to hold on to the present. You know, how many plagues went over and over and over them? And, you know, Pharaoh's heart remained uh, hard, hardened, Mm -hmm. um, concrete. You know, I mean, it was just... It's amazing how far they would go to remain in the present when, you know, the answer was basically let God's people go. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all. Right. Just yeah. let them go. Yeah. And <laughs> even after letting them go, what does Pharaoh do? Runs after them. <laughs> Sends the chariots. <laughs> Chases them down. That's right. And so, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. Um, you know, Brueggemann reminds us that we as people of faith are called to be like those who stood beside Moses. Believing that God would make a way, that God's future is on the way, that it's it's about trust, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that that trust is important for us to really sort of understand because, you know, faith, trust, these words are sort of interchangeable in the New Testament, but th- this idea of of what it means to to trust is sometimes. Uh, and, and it is correctly linked to hope, like you've been mentioning, that, you know, hope is the powerful word in terms of mm-hmm. the people of God uh, traversing yeah. through history. You know, faith, hope, love, mm-hmm. you know, it. hope is more than hoping. Um, it is more than wishing. Mm-hmm. You know, hope is really about more like waiting to being confident that the God who acted through Moses and brought the people out uh, of Egypt is going to bring us out of the present and into a brighter tomorrow. We're called um, rather to trust in new life and a new future and to find space and energy for a life of full shalom, peace beyond peace. Uh, In other words, a life of wholeness, compassion, goodwill, and peace. You know, we go back to this sort of battle between hope and fear, you know, Mm -hmm. trust and uh, scarcity. Um, And the more and more I start thinking about it, uh, when when we are allow fear, when we allow fear to overcome the certainty of God's future, that God is good and faithful and he will bring it to us. It's sort of a, a form usually of spiritual amnesia. Like you said, that, you know, memory right. provides us with hope. And yes. when we're afraid, we forget the ways that God has helped us in the past. And mm-hmm. and when we when we forget the past and how God has been good, that leads us into a tone of despair. And that's not the road we're supposed to travel on. Lent is is the the time of of coming to the awareness that we're on a road that God has paved. You know, uh, it yes. is. It may seem chaotic and right. and painful and tragic from time to time, but you know, Christ has gone ahead of us, and we're following in His direction. And so, you know, the 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 uncertainty that we face, the unknown that we're heading to, is known by at least one person. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. three in one, <laughs> the Trinity. Uh-huh. Um, and in a sense, I think that leaning into the the future that God has for us, while it is risky and demanding and all that, it's still a blessing. Like Jesus said, blessed are you who lean into the future because, <laughs> you know, you'll find it mm-hmm. and you'll be there and you'll fit. Um, you know, one way to combat spiritual amnesia is to get better about practicing, reminding ourselves about the good things that God has done in our lives and 
you know, one way that my family kind of does that, um, and I wish it was more permanent than this, but one of the ways we do that is around the dinner table um, saying, what was your favorite thing today? You know, what, mm-hmm. how has God blessed you? Um, uh, and, and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, really moving things. And sometimes it's like, this meal is delicious, or <laughs> I'm glad I had a couple hours to play my Nintendo switch. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but when it, when it is really, uh, impactful and significant, um, you know, that's, that's something that needs to be honored. Some people do, uh, a a journal or a diary in a sense of, yeah. you know, following up. And if you've ever done our, our life track daily readings, there's a question at the end of the night after you read the Psalm to reflect on your day and, and to see where God has been at work. And so in a way, a, a journal or, or a spiritual diary is a way to, to catalog the blessings uh, and the ways in which God has moved so that, you know, when, when you feel hopeless, you go back to your memories, right. your diary, your journal mm-hmm. entries, and you're inspired to trust again that God has been faithful and he will be again. That's one reason why I think storytelling and remembering scripture with the festivals, you know, the season right. of Passover yeah. is yeah. the memorizing or remembering and reenacting of yes. the scripture we talked about that it's, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, a way of remembering that God was faithful then and he mm-hmm. will be again. So I I really, I really gravitate towards that understanding of um, usually fear is a form of spiritual amnesia. We we forget the ways God has acted in the past, and that leads us to worry about the future. But the future is Easter. Yes. It's taken care of. We're not there yet. We're on our way. It's coming. It's just the fourth Wednesday in Lent, but it's coming. coming. Easter's coming. Well, um, thank you all for joining us. And again, thanks to Angela for helping pick out our our topic for this Lent. And we'll be back next Wednesday as we continue on with this wonderful devotional conversation based on Walter Brueggemann's A Way Other Than Our Own. See you next time.